Okay, here we go. Hold on. Construction will deliver. Call us today about your next project. 507-645-8975. National Security This Week, a weekly look at American national security issues. And now, your host, John Olson. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to National Security This Week. I'm your host, John Olson. Every Wednesday at 9 a.m., we'll get together here on KYMN Radio in Northfield for around 30 minutes to discuss national security. Some weeks we're going to cover broad issues, and other weeks we'll take a deeper dive into areas around the world where you may not have heard much about but might find interesting. We'll bring in guests from our local area, from around Minnesota, and from across the nation to help us explore challenges in national security. If there are topics you'd like us to cover, please email KYMN Radio, and I'll do my very best to find experts who can address your topic. So let's jump right in. The Navy League of the United States has existed since 1902. It was founded with the full support of President Theodore Roosevelt, and throughout its existence it has advocated on behalf of the Naval Services. The four naval services in the United States are the U.S. Navy, the Marine Corps, the Coast Guard, and U.S.-flagged fleet of merchant marine ships. America is a seafaring nation, and control of the seas remains a vital component of America's national security in the areas of defense, diplomacy, and economic prosperity. Here's some interesting facts I can share with you. Seventy percent of the Earth's surface is covered in water, most of that being the oceans. 80% of the world's population lives within 100 miles of a coastline. That's 80% of the world's population. 90% of the world's commerce travels by sea. 95% of the world's telecommunications lines run along the ocean floor. And on any given day, some 110 U.S. Navy ships are underway on the world's oceans, keeping those sea lanes open. That said, the Navy League is a nonprofit, civilian, educational, and advocacy organization that works at the federal level. But the organization also has local chapters. The Minnesota Council is the chapter that supports our state, and with me today is Mr. Bill James, president of the Minnesota Council of the Navy League. Bill James was born, raised, and educated in Chicago, Illinois. Sadly, he is a Cubs and Bears fan. But thankfully, he also loves the Minnesota Twins and has been a season ticket holder for over 12 years. Bill graduated from the University of Illinois in 1980 with a degree in mechanical engineering. He has worked as a marketing and sales executive in the high-tech industry with such firms as Digital Equipment, HP, Sun Microsystems, and AT&T. Having graduated from the Carlson School of Business at the University of Minnesota with an MBA in 1995, Bill is also a Minnesota Gophers fan. Since 2012, Bill has been involved with the Navy League of the United States and presently is serving as the president of the Minnesota Council. Bill James, welcome to National Security This Week. Morning, John. Thanks. Uh, uh, great to be here with you and your listeners. So I'm under, it is my understanding that you are joining us from San Diego today, is that right? I I currently am in San Diego, uh, California on the left bank here. So you've missed out on our uh, deep freeze over the last week? I've missed out on 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 quality uh, quality temperature, <laughs> as we say. Well, we're starting to climb out of it. Uh, we should be maybe even po- approaching forty by uh, next Monday. So outstanding. So let's get started with our discussion today, uh, Bill. What what is the Navy League of the United States, and who can be a member? Uh, great, uh, great question, John. Thank you. As you mentioned, the Navy League uh, is a nonprofit association, and our primary focus is to 
support the maritime services of the United States, you know, comprising the Navy, the Marines, the Coast Guard, and the Merchant Sea Services. It's a nonpartisan civilian-led organization that is open to anyone uh, who expresses uh, interest to join us. Uh, membership is, is purely voluntarily, and uh, it's affordable for all. Can you tell us a little bit about the missions that this uh, civilian-run, not-for-profit organization pursues in support of the Naval Services? Sure. You know, as part of our mission focus, the Navy League of the United States is, is focused around three primary goals. The first one is to really enhance the, the morale of sea service personnel and their families through national and council-level local-driven programs. Um, additionally, it's a, it's a powerful voice to help educate and communicate to the public as well as uh, Congress on the importance uh, to our nation's uh, sea defenses as well being uh, our economic uh, prosperity. And then thirdly, uh, we support a, a pretty wide-ranging, uh, diverse uh, youth programs that expose young people to the values of, of sea services. Uh, in addition, uh, we advocate on behalf of uh, veterans too, members of the military who served in a variety of ways. So the Navy, excuse me, the Navy League is a multifunctional association that serves to serve those who did. Okay. So the Navy League, I know, recently launched their their legislative priorities document uh, for 2021. Uh, what does the organization at the national level hope to accomplish when lobbying Congress in this current uh, legislative session? You, you bet. So advocacy is a main pillar of the Navy League's mission, and as a nonprofit organization, we are able to mobilize uh, uh, thousands of grassroots members to get to the heart of the issues that matter to the sea services, both on Capitol Hill and within our local uh, communities. Uh, we meet regularly with uh, members of Congress and, and state legislative personnel and help them understand the relevance and importance of the maritime services. Um, for the last 100 years, the United States has had really safe inland waterways and, and sea lift capabilities uh, that provide you know, access to great transportation uh, and secure transportation for moving our goods and services. And kind of the foundation uh, of this is the Jones Act. And uh, out of all our, our efforts, the Jones Act, Act continues to remain at the very top of our list in terms of priority. Um, this is a law that is at the federal level, and it requires that U.S. flagged ships and crews alone may supply internal waterways in the United States commercially, creating safety and security and uh, vital to the free transport of, of goods. It also ensures, you know, great jobs uh, for American uh, mariners, and it ensures that in times of conflict, we have enough of these sailors and ships to bring um, equipment, troops, uh, products and services, et cetera, uh, into, into our theater of operations. The challenge with the Jones Act is it's consistently under attack by, you know, free trade purists that really want to write off the impact of the law's benefits. And it's important that we don't allow this to happen because it would undercut U.S. jobs and securities. Um, mariners who work under these ships uh, flagged by other nations often work in, in dangerous conditions and, and low pay. Uh, and it would also inevitably shrink the United States' global footprint in, in commerce. Mm -hmm. uh, China presently moves two-thirds of the world's global container uh, traffic. So it's very important to have um, a strong presence, um, not only uh, internally but externally, 
Um, you know, in the past, we have been able to access foreign flagships as we, you know, had to do for conflicts in the Middle East. Right. Currently, the majority of the tankers the United States uh, leverages for the transport of oil um, are all under foreign flag carriers. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I know you, you try uh, do your very best, uh, I'm sure, to keep abreast of what uh, what lobbying is going on uh, at the at, in Congress. Uh, so we just focused pretty heavily on kind of the the merchant marine side, uh, the commerce side, and, and the internal waterways of the U.S. Are you aware of uh, what's going on lobbying in the way of, uh, say, let, let's say the Coast Guard, for instance? I know that they're working on a polar security uh, cutter uh, program that they'd like to get uh, pushed through. Yeah, the, uh, the the United States is is very behind in in the ships you mentioned, the large polar ice cutters that um, would operate, you know, up through the, the Bering Strait and into the Arctic uh, region. Um, that's an important region because uh, uh, in certain times of the year, uh, it would be the possibility would be where ships could uh, circumnavigate over the globe um, instead of having to, you know, hike their way across the Pacific and would cut out thousands of miles of transit. So having ships to keep those sea lanes open that can uh, maintain uh, clear waterways is, is critical to the safety and commerce of the United States. We, um, we believe it or not, as a, as a nation, we have three ice cutters in our entire inventory as a, uh, as a country. Contrast this uh, with uh, Russia, for example. They have 22 polar ice cutters in their, in their fleet. So we're, we're pretty behind on, in position there. Um, additionally, the, the Navy League advocates uh, you know, to Congress for uh, expanded programs in, in education, particularly around STEM for, for, for children and development. Uh, the, the Navy, the Marines, the Coast Guard are all very highly technical-driven uh, organizations. And so we need um, people that are, are well-educated and trained to operate the complex systems that uh, each of those services operate. Yeah. So it sounds like, uh, as you said, uh, this advocacy work in Congress uh, on the part of the Navy League of the United States is is pretty crucial work. Yeah, it's 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 important uh, and relevant work. Um, you know, our our sea fleet right now is, uh, uh, and by sea fleet I mean of the ships that are available for deployment is um, is is really taxed. Uh, the, the Navy has a has a goal of getting to a three hundred and fifty five ship Navy uh, eventually. And um, that that is a very uh, daunting task in terms of not only funding for those ships, but also training the people to go aboard that. And the reason that inventory of ships is needed is for the operation tempos. Uh, as you can imagine, we operate in a 24-7 uh, world out there, so we have to, uh, you know, man and position our assets, uh, you know, across the oceans that we, we serve. Indeed, indeed. So I, I can actually add a little uh, anecdotal information to our conversation here. A few years ago, we had the vice chief of naval operations in town, he and uh, and he talked a little bit about uh, what life was like when he came into the fleet in 1980, uh, and uh, we had a significantly larger fleet of ships uh, under the early days and throughout the Reagan administration. And at any given time, we had about 110 Navy warships out operating anywhere in the world, uh, and this was back when we had you know 500 ships in the Navy, 
And right. now today, with uh, 280 or so combatants in the U.S. Navy, we still have about 110 ships out operating at any given time. So as you said, the op tempo, the operational tempo uh, for our sailors uh, in the U.S. Navy is, is pretty brutal. So, and, and the maintenance requirements on those ships, uh, since they have to be operational so, so much. Indeed. So for our audience, you're listening to KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1, broadcasting out of Northfield, Minnesota. This is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guest today is Bill James, president of the Minnesota Council of the Navy League. So, Bill, let's uh, let's jump into a, another uh, discussion here. The Naval Services, you know, they include the Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, and the Merchant Marine. Uh, what other kinds of support mechanisms does the Navy League do for those four naval services besides just the advocacy work, the lobbying in Congress? Sure, sure, you bet. Um, you know, as you mentioned um, uh, regarding the statistics, uh, the 90-80-70 relationship when it comes to the Navy and sea services. Um, so we really work closely with um, uh, communities, uh, leaders, business leaders, as well as uh, members of uh, legislative services to help them understand uh, the real importance that, uh, that 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 presence uh, has across the world. You know, last week, um, I think you interviewed uh, the Secretary of Agriculture for the state of Minnesota. Yeah, our com- Commissioner of Agriculture, Tom Peterson, yep. Tom Peterson, and he spoke at length of the importance of the Minnesota economy uh, you know, as a as a country, even as a state, we're one of the largest growers of of grains for export. You know, things like corn and soybeans and wheat and such, and other other high profile products. So, all the hardworking farmers out there who create this wealth of an agricultural economy, they they really need to be able to move their products to market, whether it's down the street or across the globe. And and without safe and secure open shipping lanes available, you know, shipping soybeans to Japan or or uh, you know, corn to China is moot if there are bottlenecks and, and threats to those to those lanes. Yeah. So as I mentioned at the beginning of our show, the Navy League of the United States is the is the national association, uh, yep. but we but we do have uh, local councils. Uh, a, a, and here in Minnesota, you lead the Minnesota Council of the Navy League. So tell us a little bit about the Minnesota Council. Yeah, so the Minnesota Council um, is, as you mentioned, every state has has, a, has le- at least one council. You know, here in California, uh, there's uh, like nine councils that are present in the, in the state of California. But um, I lead the uh, uh, our focus for the Minnesota one. We have a board of directors that I report uh, into. Um, we meet monthly, um, very similar to how we're doing today uh, in a virtual session. We look forward to getting back to in-person meetings soon. Um, and, and our goal is to uh, focus on executing uh, against our annual plan. Um, we recently completed um, a five-year strategic plan that uh, you helped us uh, a lot with uh, that maps out our goals for our efforts. This includes leadership, membership, uh, advocacy with elected officials, education for educators uh, through STEM support, as well as helping to develop the youth to become uh, leaders uh, on their own. We also uh, help raise funds to support uh, local driven programs uh, along with our mission to do things that the Navy and Coast Guard and Marines are not necessarily able to do uh, by law. So, for example, one of our core responsibilities is to help raise funds to assist with commissioning new ships uh, like we did in 2013 with the USS Minnesota Virginia class uh, submarine 
uh, which is based up in Groton, Connecticut, and, and the soon-to-be-commissioned USS Minneapolis-St. Paul. And I'm, and I'm going to have many more questions about those two platforms here shortly. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, also, one of our core tenets is to help support youth development, uh, and this happens in a number of ways. Uh, we support our United States Navy Sea Cadet Program, which is actually an extension of the of the Navy. And this is a great adjunct unit, which uh, affords youth to gain an uh, information and introduction and understanding on the inner workings of the Navy. Um, they're really comprised of two programs with the Sea Cadets. Uh, it's the first section or program is the Naval Sea Cadet Corps program. That's uh, for people ages 13 through the completion of high school. And then also uh, there's a junior program, the Navy League Cadet Corps, uh, and that's uh, targeted for people uh, ages 10 to 13. Uh, and the Navy Department, um, uh, at the request of the Navy Department, they requested the Navy League of the United States to help dis- establish the Sea Cadet Program in 1962. And it helps to create a favorable image of the Navy uh, to the youth uh, of America. Um, the things that the Sea Cadets really focus on to further the image of maritime services is, is really guided through uh, adult-led uh, training programs. Uh, helps them to develop an interest and ability in seamanship and seagoing skills, uh, instills uh, virtues of of great citizenship and and strong moral principles, Uh, really demonstrates the value of of an alcohol, drug-free, and gang-free lifestyle, and uh, helps expose candidates to the prestige of public service through a variety of career paths uh, and and hands-on training. So it's open, a great program. It's open to both uh, boys and and girls. Um, who strive through uh, excellence. Um, Additionally, some of the other things we do uh, directly with the public sector, uh, we support a number of STEM-based educational programs within schools. Uh, We have an active engagement with schools to help support their learning and teaching uh, through STEM-based concepts. And as you can probably imagine, driving and operating a $2 billion nuclear submarine like the USS Minnesota or flying an F-18 Super Hornet jet fighter that, that costs almost $68 million each takes really immense skill, training, and, and knowledge. So we, we help uh, educators develop uh, a talent pipeline to help educate students for, for great careers. An example, uh, the Navy will work directly with schools and teachers to provide learning and demonstration tools, tools and assets uh, to support in-classroom uh, learning. Uh, one tool um, are the uh, student-developed uh, uh, drone kits, and students can actually build and learn how to operate an autonomous underwater vehicle. Uh, it's called a Sea Perch. It's a pilotless underwater vehicle that students can build and fly and uh, understand concepts around navigation, manufacturing, and controls and such. There's also uh, an aviation one. It's a, it's a helico- helicopter, so a helicopter-driven drone to help them understand the concepts behind piloting and, and aerodynamics. And additionally, there's new modules that are coming online soon involving um, AR and VR technologies to help students explore the world of virtual and augmented reality. Wow. That's a, that's an impressive list of things that, uh, that the Navy League is doing to support uh, development of youth citizenship and STEM skills and uh, technical knowledge as well. That's That's great. That's great. So for our audience, you're listening to KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1, broadcasting out of Northfield, Minnesota. 
This is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guest is today is Bill James, president of the Minnesota Council of the Navy League. Uh, so, Bill, you mentioned uh, the commissioning of the USS Minnesota some years ago. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the USS Minnesota uh, as a Virginia-class submarine and, and uh, talk a little bit about your experiences when we, we were going, you were going through the, uh, the commissioning process. You, you, you bet, John. So um, <clears throat> the USS Minnesota, uh, SSN 783 is its uh, designated uh, number. Uh, it's a, a fast attack Virginia-class nuclear-powered submarine. And it's based out in uh, uh, Groton, Connecticut, uh, right adjacent to New London, Connecticut, which is one of our primary uh, eastern seaboard uh, submarine bases. Uh, Minnesota is a pretty good-sized ship. It's 377 uh, feet long. Uh, to give people perspective, if you put the, uh, the bow of the submarine on home plate down at Target Field, uh, the propulsor or tail would punch through the center field fence out in uh, left center field. All right. So that's about the size of it. Needs about uh, 9,000 tons in, in gross displacement. Uh, it's all nuclear powered, which means it has limitless range. Uh, never needs its own power, electricity, water, and air while it's at sea. Um, it has 135 crew members, 16 of which are officers, two of which are women officers now aboard. So the women are now um, serving aboard uh, submarines. Uh, for onboard uh, technology up front, it carries two primary weapon platforms aboard, the Mark 48 wire-guided torpedo, and also uh, rail-launched Tomahawk cruise missiles that, uh, that can be deployed uh, from underwater. They punch up through the, uh, the ocean top and, uh, and move on from there. The primary mission of, the, of, of this class, the Virginia class, is forward surveillance. Uh, it, it also supports carrier group escorts uh, when the carrier task forces are, are out. Uh, it also works uh, on uh, special forces missions like deploying SEAL uh, deployments um, and, and really serves as a forward-based platform for our Navy. It was christened in 2012. Uh, that's the big moment when you, when you, when you crash the uh, champagne uh, across the bow, and then it was commissioned in October 2013 in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. All right. So, what uh, what was your experience in the commissioning process for Minnesota? Yeah. So, our my my experience, my team's experience, we uh, were tasked by the Navy um, and uh, Newport News Shipbuilding, uh, the Huntington Ingalls Shipyard. This is where the, these uh, ships are built to. Um, lead and plan the commissioning effort. And so this is about a week-long event where uh, the ship is uh, brought forth, and it's actually a very uh, long tradition in the Navy to commission a Navy ship. There's a lot of great traditions and honor uh, that go along with that. And it's really the kind of the last step in a, in a ship's uh, handoff to the Navy where they actually, you know, get the keys full-time to it, if you will. Um, so we really planned um, a lot of the uh, events, uh, the ceremonial events that took place during the commissioning day. Um, of course, there's um, recognition for crew and uh, all the factory workers that uh, built these ships. It's uh, They're unbelievably uh, well-trained and well-schooled uh, engineers and technical people and, and craftsmen that put these ships together. So, um, you know, our job is to really uh, lead um lead those efforts to to help bring that ship, you know, to the pulp form on, on its christening week. Um, there's also some great social 
uh, events that go around that with special crew lunches. We threw a, uh, for example, uh, we had a famous Dave's barbecue uh, brought in and we served that pier side to all the crew members. Um, so we had a barbecue lunch on the pier from, from um, home base barbecue, uh, famous Dave's. Um, we also were able to bring in some unbelievable assets uh, from previous ships. There were three previous USS Minnesotas. Uh, one was a battleship, so we uh, had on display the original silver service off the battleship, which was actually part of uh, Teddy Roosevelt's Great White Fleet yeah, there you go. back in his era, as well as uh, other um, other elements from, from previous ships that uh, that bore the name of the USS Minnesota. So once those, uh, so like Minnesota, once it was commissioned and uh, put into service uh, and the crew is doing workups and deployments and whatnot, what is the role that uh, that you have as president of the Minnesota Council and 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 the Minnesota Council itself? How, how does the Minnesota Council continue to serve the crew and the ship USS Minnesota? Yeah, great question, John. So you know we 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 not only help you know kind of bring the ship to life during its commissioning event, but we also have ongoing relationships with the, with the crews. We're actually on our account here now. We're on our fourth captain of the Minnesota since uh, uh, 2012. Yeah. So um, as as new leaders rotate through the ship, we uh, we introduce them to the to the state of Minnesota. We bring them here to Minnesota. Uh, previously, you know, we would be able to uh, have them out for uh, community visits. We take them to meet legislators. Um, we also um, introduce them to the public. We've had them on the field, uh, crew members and and officers on the field during Minnesota Vikings games, as well as Minnesota. Uh, Twins games and and Loon uh, games, uh, just to really show the citizens of Minnesota, here's your crew, here's your leaders. Uh, they're the ones that are out um, kind of on the tip of the spear at the, at the forward uh, locations. Uh, we support um, their field readiness groups. These are um, all the support mechanisms um, that are in place to help um, sailors. Uh, recently, we just uh, made a donation uh, to the FRG, as it's referred to, to create uh, single sailor kits uh, for all the single sailors aboard. So it's kind of like a care package uh, that are brought ab- aboard the submarine. And, and when they're into their 90-day cruise or 120-day cruise, you know, those packages are brought out. And it's really kind of a nice taste of home. It's kind of like getting a little Red Cross package at sea. Right. So we help fund, uh, you know, uh, initiatives and programs like that. That's great. That's great. It really helps morale. Uh, I can tell you firsthand that it really helps morale for the sailors out at sea on a deployment. Yeah, so, they're 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 really long journeys and long um, you know trips. You know, aircraft carriers, for example, they're they're at they're at sea for six months uh, at a time. So you know, people can imagine being away from home and their loved ones and family and uh, wives and kids and husbands for for that amount of time. So it's not easy work. And anything that we can do to help uh, those um, those hardworking uh, men and women that are that are out really doing the heavy lift um, is really well appreciated. Yeah. So I know we have a, a new ship uh, named yes. the USS Minneapolis St. Paul uh, that is uh, soon to be commissioned. I don't have an exact date, I know, but maybe you do. Uh, when, w- tell us a little bit about that ship, and uh, when will she join the fleet? Yeah, so uh, this is a different ship than uh, the Minnesota, Minnesota being a submarine, and the Minneapolis-St. Paul uh, LCS-21 is its designation. 
it's a littoral combat ship. Um, and so this is a surface uh, warfare ship that um, is uh, relatively new in the inventory for the, for the U.S. Navy. Um, it's a uh, perspective. It's about 57 feet wide at its beam, if you will. Uh, it's about 387 feet long. And um, it's, you know, fueled by um, two Rolls-Royce jet turbine engines. Uh, the unique aspects of the, uh, of the littoral combat ships, littoral meaning close, close in support or close in shore, if you will, uh, has a very narrow uh, draft on the ship or a depth to the ship. So we can navigate into areas where, you know, you only have 15 or so feet of clearance between the bottom of the hull and the seabed be- below you. Uh, it is the fastest ship, surface ship in the Navy. It's a real speed demon. It can read, reach speeds greater than um, 45 knots, so that's about 52 miles per hour, uh, <laughs> give or take. Race car. So you think about a ship that's uh, a, you know well over a football field long, traveling along at the speed of an automobile. It's it's almost a little mind-boggling. Um, normal cruise ships, if anybody's ever taken a cruise, those those clip are wrong at about 20 knots. So this is more than two times faster than a cruise ship. Um, it has a full complement of um, uh, self-defense units aboard, a variety of uh, weapons and battle defense systems, uh, including a three-dimensional air search radar, uh, lightweight uh, rolling airframe missiles, um, medium caliber uh, uh, deck gun, and uh, a decoy launching system for launching unmanned aerial vehicles. Also has a helicopter pad on the stern of the ship. Has about 98 sailors aboard. Uh, there's about 50 core uh, crew members that are uh, are aboard um, at any given time. Uh, it was um, actually built, believe it or not, right here in the in the Midwest in uh, at Marinette uh, Finn Can Carry uh, Shipyard, which is in Marinette, Wisconsin. That's about 39 miles north of Green Bay on, on Lake Superior. So that's that's where the Freedom Class, as the ship is called, is, is built up at the Marinette Shipyard. There's another shipyard that builds a different class, uh, and that's down in uh, Astral in Alabama. Hmm. So Minneapolis-St. Paul, do we have a commissioning date uh, tentatively set up yet? Yeah, we, uh, we, uh, we had a date uh, actually set up, um, targeted for this May. Um, and unfortunately, uh, as, as sometimes happens, there's a little glitch in one aspect of the, of the ship right now that the, uh, Navy, uh, and the prime, uh, contractor Lockheed Martin is working out with respect to a, a gear system in the engine compartment. And so rather than send ships out further, uh, the Navy has just kind of put the pause button on things and we're, they are working on implementing um, an engineering change order to this this gearing system okay. between the Rolls Royce turbines and the um, and the propulsion sh- system. There's actually unlike you know boats that people are very familiar with. There's no shafts out the stern or the back of this ship. Uh, it has impellers or um, uh, which are you know within the hull that drive uh, drive the ship. It's almost like a jet boat in in its in its conceptual performance. Mm-hmm. So once this um, uh, ECO, this engineering change order is is uh, is finished off, and the Navy um, will will release our ships. Our ship, the Minneapolis Saint Paul, and another sister ship, the USS Cooperstown, are going to be the the primary first ships with the with the new fix. And um, that work will be is already underway. And um, 
once uh, we get through winter up on the Great Lakes, uh, those ships will be installed with a new fix, and then uh, they'll go out to sea trials on on the Great Lakes uh, to test them out and certify them. So as far as um, we don't have a hard commissioning date right now, but we are in constant contact with the Navy on on new developments and the status of the program. And where will that ship be uh, commissioned? Yeah, good question. So um, we lobbied uh, the Secretary of the Navy and um, and, and others, uh, actually working through um, our ship sponsor, uh, Jody Green, to have uh, Duluth, Minnesota selected as the port of commissioning. So we will be bringing this ship into Duluth, Minnesota for its public commissioning. It's a public event. Uh, the public can attend uh, the commissioning if they would like to register for um, tickets and access to it. There's a website, uh, lcs21.org, that the public can navigate to. And on that page, you'll see um, a, a menu for requesting tickets. And you put in your your name and address and contact information and such. And uh, then you'll be added to the list for commissioning. There's no charge to attend the commissioning. The Navy uh, pays for that. So um, having a, uh, a brand new uh, Navy ship come through the um, the lift bridge in in Duluth uh, soon will be quite the sight to see. And I I think this will be the very first uh, U.S. Navy combatant that's ever been commissioned in the state of Minnesota. Is that right? It will. This will be the very first ship that will be commissioned um, that touches uh, you know Minnesota uh, land, if you will. Um, we've had Navy ships um, come come into the port of Duluth um, in the past. Uh, you know, as part of, um, you know, things like Fleet Weeks and, mm-hmm. and, and other activities. But this will be the first time we've uh, we've had a, an official commissioning uh, on Minnesota soil. So you mentioned the ship sponsor is uh, Jody Green, Deputy Undersecretary of the Navy for Policy. Uh, she yeah. she is actually a Northfield, Minnesota native. Yes, she is. She's a Northfield uh, uh, gal. Um, she was a veteran uh, also of the Armed Services. She served in the U.S. Air Force. Uh, from 1990 to 1995 uh, with assignments in the National Security Agency and the offices of the Secretary of Air Force and and the Secretary of Defense. Um, She serves presently as Deputy Undersecretary of the Navy for Policy. Um, So that's a civilian job um, that has leadership command within the Pentagon. Um, She's kind of the equivalent of of an admiral. Uh, in the in the Navy, in terms of her civilian rank, and her really uh, her primary focus is to serve as the Navy's primary advisor on foreign defense policies and strategies, uh, intelligence and counterintelligence uh, oversight. Uh, she really works closely with um, the Navy as well as the Marines, um, involving you know sensitive activities uh, on a global basis. Uh, and she really helps to align the Department of the Navy's uh, narrative uh, through, you know, posture hearings uh, and oversees the SECNAV's advisory panel mm-hmm. uh, and serves as the uh, deputy uh, Department of the Navy's security executive uh, to um, uh, Congress for uh, policy and intelligence. So I have to imagine that uh, because of her position in the in the U.S. U.S. Navy uh, on the Secretary of Navy's staff. Uh, and being the sponsor of uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul, that you, as president of the Minnesota Council, uh, responsible for coordinating a lot of these commissioning ceremony uh, events and whatnot for Minneapolis-St. Paul, that you are in regular contact with her. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. We uh, we talk to Jody uh, monthly. Um, 
through through a uh, uh, Microsoft Teams call, just like a lot of people probably have experienced uh, or Zoom kind of concept. Okay. Um, so she dials in. Uh, we we have a very crisp thirty minute uh, uh, discussion. Um, <laughs> it's very very busy in the Pentagon these days, as you oh, can yeah. probably imagine, and particularly. Uh, as a transition uh, to a new administration. Sure. So we also up in Duluth have uh, a couple of Coast Guard units, including the U.S. Coast Guard Cutter Alder, uh, which I think is a buoy tender. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what the uh, Minnesota Council does to support our Coast Guard uh, sailors, our Coast Guardsmen up up in Duluth? You, you bet. The Coast Guard is a, is an incredibly uh, uh, important um, working uh, member of the uh, you know federal system. Um, it's actually with uh, offices, if you will, within the Department of Homeland Security. So it's not embedded inside of the Department of Defense. It's within uh, DHS. And, you know, being an inland state, we we have a significant U.S. Coast Guard presence uh, here in, in the upper Midwest area, including Wisconsin, and as well as Minnesota. Um, you know, we have large inland waterways like, like the Mississippi uh, system, and then our large network of, of lakes, and of course our the Great Lakes uh, on Lake Superior. So we have these vast expanses of uh, water that need to be secure and under management. And the Alder is a Coast Guard cutter. Uh, it's 225 feet long, and it's uh, kind of has a multi-mission role. Role it it really it's designed to be a, a buoy tender. So all the navigation aids, the buoys, if you will, the markers. Uh, you know, in, in the Great Lakes, are, are ten, they need tending uh, on, on an ongoing basis. So this ship is really there to help and support navigation aids and, and maintenance. Uh, it's home ported in, right in, in Duluth, um, just around the corner from the lift bridge uh, is where it's based. And um, its primary missions are, as I mentioned, um, helping with navigation, icebreaking, law enforcement, uh, search and rescue, also has a pretty interesting uh, system aboard called SOARS. Uh, it's spilled oil recovery system. So if there's ever a leak in a ship, they can deploy um, uh, protective equipment, uh, you know, onto the onto the water to help contain contain a spill. So has that great environmental capability uh, uh, aboard. Uh, has a, an operating crew of about fifty. Um, it's powered by uh, two uh, pretty robust uh, big Caterpillar uh, twin diesels, uh, about 3,100 horsepower, and it has numerous uh, cranes aboard to help with, uh, you know, lifting and, and lift capacity for the buoys. Um, I mentioned about the ice breaking capability. Um, it can um, move right along uh, at about three to four knots, crunching through about 14 inches thick of ice uh, to keep sea lanes and, and, and uh, open. And then um, it can actually uh, ram into 36-inch uh, thick ice uh, uh, and break it up. The, the hull is designed uh, such that the ship goes up and over the top of the ice, and then the weight of the ship comes down on the ice and cracks it open. All right. So uh, living in a cold-weather climate like we are, um, we have to make sure that we keep those um, those uh, transportation lanes open, particularly as we transition from fall to winter and then of course winter back to spring sure so that keeps the uh, the transit uh, lanes open the shipping lanes open out of in and out of Duluth uh, into I would imagine late November early December if we're really lucky and then get some get some opening up here probably in probably by mid-march I would guess right yeah you know the port of Duluth is an incredibly busy port um, it's the 12th busiest port in the country 
mm. uh, for moving uh, materials, primarily uh, agricultural products. And of course, uh, the taconite that is mined up on the um, uh, out of the mines in, in northern Minnesota. Sure. Taconite is a uh, mineral uh, that goes into steel production. And interestingly, uh, the taconite mine in, um, in, in northern Minnesota, uh, they supplied uh, that, that material that went actually into fabricating the steel that went into the USS Minneapolis-St. Paul All right. by, by Cleveland Cliffs uh, Steel Corporation. Um, so uh, those the, the crew and, and even the citizens of Minnesota will know there's always a little piece of Minnesota on the high seas uh, with the steel plate that's in the ship. That's great. That's great. So, Bill, we just have a, a few minutes left. Uh, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about uh, the Navy League of the United States or, or the Minnesota Council? Yeah, thank you for that. It's really been uh, uh, my appreciation to have you uh, on today. Um, you know, one thing that is important with all organizations is is members. And so this is my call out, as we say, to uh, have people uh, look at the Navy League uh, to join for membership. Um, you can do so on our website, um, and uh, there are numerous benefits uh, uh, to uh, becoming a member uh, of the Navy League, including uh, a great uh, magazine called Sea Power that's delivered to you. Uh, you get access to all kinds of programs and, and uh, lectures that are online virtually, as well as uh, access to the STEM programs that uh, I mentioned previously. Um, keep relevant, timely news and information, not just only about the Navy and maritime services, but general, you know, information coming out of uh, D.C. Uh, gives you an opportunity to give a voice to elected officials, and it's very affordable. You know, it's twenty-five dollars a year for a digital membership, um, so that gets you online uh, with with full access to all the benefits. You know, and it's really been great for me personally. It's given me access to things that I've never even thought I'd have. An opportunity in my life. I've I've been aboard and sailed on the nuclear submarine, the USS Minnesota. Uh, I've been aboard and seen aircraft carriers up close. I, I had the luxury of having dinner one evening with the Navy Blue Angels flight demonstration team, and so lots of great opportunities to experience um, and being around some of the smartest and hardest working people I've seen in my career. And as I mentioned, we have a, a website. It's called uh, Navy League mn.org and then the lcs website lcs21.org you can go there and find out more information about membership in the navy league and then of course about the uss minnesota the alder and the minneapolis st paul ships that we support as well as our other commands that are based um in minnesota uh you know locally Yeah, we haven't even uh, discussed those, but unfortunately, we're running out of time. So we've sure. reached the end of our time uh, today, as in fact. And Bill James, thank you so much for being our guest today on National Security This Week. Thanks, John. It's been great. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening, giving me the time to share some uh, interesting, hopefully interesting things uh, with your audience on the Navy uh, and such. Appreciate well, it. Enjoy your vacation out there in San Diego. Okay. Thanks, all. Everyone, stay warm. So that closes our, our edition, uh, today's edition of National Security This Week. We're broadcasting on KYMN Radio in Northfield, Minnesota, on AM 1080 and FM 95.1. I'm your host, John Olson. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to sharing time with you again next Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. In the meantime, if you have ideas for topics you'd like us to cover, please contact KYMN Radio, and I'll do my very best to find experts who can address your topic. Have a fantastic Wednesday and a great finish to your week.
You've been listening to National Security This Week, a weekly show looking into issues of American national security with the host, John Olson. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. for National Security This Week.